Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this lecture, the university's director of sports, Stephen Badley, introduces a series of speakers celebrating the university's journey to become one of the UK's leading centres for high-performance sport and a key player in preparation for the 2012 London Olympic Games and Paralympic Games. Chancellor, Vice-Chancellor, Mr Mayor, colleagues, thank you all for coming this afternoon. Welcome. Over the next 45 minutes or so, my colleagues and I are going to try to give you a flavour of the rags-to-riches story that has been the development of sport at the University of Bath. And this presentation is complemented excellently by a fabulous poster exhibition that's been pulled together by Lizzie Richmond, the university archivist, who is uh, just in the corner here. I think she's done an excellent job, and I hope you'll be able to enjoy that exhibition over tea later on. Now, in preparing for this presentation, I was pleased to find that those pioneers who back in the 60s decided to create a university up here on Claverton Down clearly had great vision, but they also had a sense of humour. In the beginning, however, sport was not really on the agenda, and sport was not well catered for. As this extract from the Student Union Handbook of 1969 shows, the students were in danger of leaving here without having experienced a single sports facility. And this being the 60s, the students protested. This being Bath, they do seem to have protested very politely. They look extremely cheerful, and I'm really impressed by how well-dressed they are. (laughs) But however gentle the protests they clearly were very effective because just a few years later the university boasted a 25 meter swimming pool and a an eight band court sports hall now known as the founders hall and even the minister for sport himself could be found practicing his backhand on campus somebody who remembers those times extremely well was a gentleman who joined the university in 1970 he worked for 25 years in the sports department a gentleman called Len Willis. He, his passion then, and in fact today, was for life-saving and lifeguarding. He's still active today. I'm delighted that he's with us, together with his wife in the front row here. I caught up with him a few weeks ago, and I'm now going to show a short video which captures some of his early memories of sport here in the 70s. My name is Len Willis. I came to this university in 1970 and worked through as a senior supervisor in the sports department until 1995. Students were very keen, but the number of sports available was very limited. But now things have progressed. The thing that developed in those days was jogging. It wasn't really in existence before. But then when the Glad the marathons got on television, everybody wants to jog. Lifesaving, lifeguarding, uh, I trained uh, the students here so they could go off and get a part-time job in, in their uh, vacations. And uh, a lot of them qualified quite high on lifesaving lifeguarding. Uh, we used to go for competitions. Um, sometimes the competitions were outdoors. The water was cold. 
weather wasn't necessarily very good. So we used to practice, and they thoroughly enjoyed it, is to go out the emergency door at the deep end of the pool, run around the campus on the set route we had, drop into the pond, the lake, as it was called then, and uh, swim across, back round to the swimming pool again and have a shower. And they thoroughly enjoyed that, moaning all the time. Security was dead against it. But in those days, they had an emergency response vehicle, so they could get around the campus very quickly. A push bike. So one of them just had a push bike, and by the time we got down to the lake, the students were in, out, and gone. There was rumours about uh, fish that bite you in the lake. I say rumours, I don't think it actually was in, in existence. But um, on one occasion, uh, 1976, when it was very hot, everybody wanted to get in the pool and cool off, and of course the rumours were rife that there was all sorts of fish there. However, a student from engineering had decided to have some fun and games. He had a model boat, radio-controlled boat, and uh, he sunk it just below the surface of the pool, just below the surface of the water, and uh, put a black kite fin sticking out of the water. It's surprising how quickly the students got out of the water then, until they realised it was a, a joke. I was often involved in uh, organising the open day for sixth formers and such like from local schools to come up and have a look around the university and see just what was here. One particular thing I can remember, and it's uh, to us, it's amusing, and that was three young girls came up to me, hmm, about 16 and 17 year old youngsters, poking one another, said, you ask him, no, you ask him. Eventually I got the question out of them, and what they were asking was, if we came to university, would, be, would we be allowed out in the evenings? Okay, that's how they think, or didn't think. Len, thank you very much. That was done really with almost one take. I think absolutely natural there. I love the idea of students not being allowed out, allowed out in the evening, but uh, not sure if it will catch on. Len worked in a sports department which from 1971 was led by Tom Hudson, later become Dr. Tom Hudson during his time here. Tom, for me, was really a boy's own action hero. He was part of the Brigade of Guards Airborne Division. During the Suez Crisis, he parachuted into Egypt while the Egyptian army were trying to shoot him down. He not only fenced for England, he also played water polo for England. And in 1956, he represented Great Britain in the Olympic Games in Melbourne in the sport of modern pentathlon. Tom was a commanding presence across campus, and over 20 years, he drove the development of sport through his charisma, his energy, and his sheer passion for sport. Throughout that time, excuse me, we'll see him now. There we go. Throughout that time, he was ably assisted by an academic at the university called Bill Clark. Bill was a physicist, a sometime member of Senate, Council, and University Court. But he seems to have spent most of his time either playing tennis or developing tennis for the students and supporting Tom in all his variety of ventures. The two of them really took sport forward along with many other people involved at that time. And one of their particular achievements, one of Tom's 
strong legacy was the establishment of sports scholarships. I'm delighted both Tom and Bill are with us this afternoon. Um, we're going to hear from them both. In the case of Tom, we're going to hear from Tom through his wife, Jan, who, who's going to speak on his behalf. And I'd like you to join me in welcoming Bill and Jan to the lectern. Good afternoon. Not many occasions have I had the pleasure of speaking instead of my husband. <laughs> As a young athlete competing all over the world, Tom was always, always interested in how other countries looked after their athletes. And when becoming part of university sport, he was interested as to how students coped with their academic studies and the challenges it brought to students also competing at top level in their sport. He researched countries who were running sports scholarships, which were many and varied. He liked in particular the Swedish model, which only took students with the necessary qualifications to study for a degree and who were already competing at a high level in sport. Confident in the knowledge he could do this, he approached the then Vice-Chancellor, Professor Rotherham. He gave his approval. With the proviso, Tom found the money. During an informal conversation with John Lane, the regional director of the Southwest Division of OCS, Office Cleaning Services, a sponsor was found. OCS agreed to sponsor the first scholar. A committee was set up to decide the criteria required for such a scholar and then advertised. Martin Lewis was chosen to do a four-year sandwich course for a BSc in microbiology. He was already national champion of Great Britain in slalom and wild water canoeing. In July 1976, Tom and Martin Hedges appeared on BBC Grandstand with Tony Gubber in the middle Saturday of Wimbledon. Unimaginable publicity. Although in the first years of the sports scholarships, they were never short of publicity. Later, Sir John Moore of Littlewood's football pools and office cleaning services were to give approximately £100,000 in scholarships at Bath University. All scholars were to be part of sports science testing. Timetables were prepared for each individual. Financial arrangements were also individual. The extra year had to be financed. Specialist coaches were brought in, scientific and medical backup. All had to be paid for and travel. For instance, Malcolm Lewis, a golf scholar, travelled to Spain and played golf with Henry Cotton, which improved his performance considerably. He went on to win gold medal amateur golfer in the British Open, organised by Tom Watson, USA Open winner. So everything was going well. However, there were dissenters. Professor Ian Thompson, Director of Sports Studies at Stirling University, writing in the Times Higher Educational Supplement, 
drew attention to the strict adherence of British universities, universities to an amateur conception of sport and pointed out abuse and corrupt practices that had been brought to some American universities. Stirling University were later to start sports scholarships. A group visited the University of Bath to see how it was working and asked Tom to be on their trustees. John Goodbody, writing in the Times, reported on a controversy at Oxford University. Some university dons see sports as a threat and the captains of the university cricket and football clubs were not allowed to return for a fourth year on academic grounds. Bill. Bill. <laughs> yeah, well, you come back, okay. Right, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, as you know, my name is Bill Clark. I need to uh, produce my academic credentials, I think, as the academic side of the sports scholarship deal. So very briefly, uh, I was an open exhibitioner at the University of Exeter as an undergraduate and as a PhD student, during which time I won university colours in tennis, uh, squash, athletics and cross-country running. 1959, I came to the University of Bath, formerly uh, Bristol College of Science and Technology as a lecturer in physics, was promoted to senior lecturer and director of studies uh, for the university. And I stayed like that until I retired uh, with uh, th three years to go to my final day, took early retirement, uh, and then uh, effectively used that time afterwards to help to set up a sports science degree, which... Uh, in itself uh, achieved considerable fame in the country. In generally, I was a member of Senate Council and Court in this university, not all at once, uh, but I was on the sports committee right through from beginning to end, and part, part of my job was to have a role in the appointment of uh, and interview Tom Hudson. We did well in getting him. The scholarships uh, were important, Academically, they had to keep to their academic studies at the grade at which we accepted them. If they fell below that or fell out, then the scholarship would be uh, redundant. And equally, if they did well in their academic studies but did badly in their sports, the scholarship would be withdrawn. <laughs> How did they perform? Well, very briefly, the ones that Janet has already mentioned, Martin Hedges, uh, he gained a 2-1 class degree. Malcolm Lewis, he gained a 2-1. James May, in mathematics, he had a 2-1. William Jackson, in horticulture, he had a 2-1 in judo. And if we select some from uh, the rest of the sports scholars, Marina Sami, a 3,000-meter lady in management, had a 2-1. And Chris Martin, rugby player, Cornishman, like me, 
uh, got a maths in 2-2 and played for England. Finally, as we said, what happened to us when it all finished? Tom retired from here and went to do a PhD in sports scholarships at the University of Surrey. Uh, I, as I said, simply took early retirement and went on to deal with the new sports science degree. Uh, I think I can look back and say it's been a happy time for me professionally and in sporting terms, and, uh, and I'm sure it's the same with Tom. Uh, we have several other little bits of details which people might be interested in, but I suggest we will leave that until any question time. Thank you. And Janet's coming back. At the end of their time as part of the sports scholarship um, programme, companies were asked for their opinions of the students who had worked in their companies as part of the sandwich courses. All spoke highly of the scholars. Monitoring of progress, sorry, all spoke highly of the scholars, commenting on the discipline needed for their success in their sport had been brought into their company. Excuse me, the discipline needed for their success in the sport had been brought into their companies and all had been hard workers. John, Dr. John Wright records his views in April 1994. He had been academic and personal tutor to two of the scholarship holders. He writes in both cases there was a constant blending of their academic and sporting acti activities monitoring of progress and the need for cooperation on all fronts so as to optimise and manage their time to the best advantage. He goes into detail but finishes with, this department of biology was pleased to be involved with the sports scholarship scheme. We took pride in their achievements and they repaid our small efforts with their mature and unstinting contributions to undergraduate biological studies and the development of yet another dimension to this highly regarded degree. Sir Ian Lewis, Malcolm Lewis's father, wrote a letter in 1982. I know how much Malcolm has enjoyed his time in Bath and there is absolutely no doubt in my mind he took the right decision to go to Bath rather than to Cambridge. He could not possibly have achieved what he did there. My wife and I realise what a wonderful experience Malcolm has had and thank you all deeply. James May writes of his appreciation. He competed in the Olympics um, as a gymnast, all students on the scholarship scheme represented their country. And finally, Martin Hedges, the first scholar, writes, A bold scheme. It deserves to succeed. I have done exceptionally well. I am grateful for the opportunity it has given me. I would be just another canoeist. It has worked well for me. In the 1980s, canoeing was brought in as Olympic sport. Having left the university many years previously, Martin was hoping to gain a place. However, he sadly died in a road accident on the outskirts of Bath.
The success of this scheme was brought about by the enthusiasm of everyone in the University of Bath. Tom is pleased to hear the scholarship scheme continues, although with a different source of finance. Long may they continue and flourish. Thank you. The second director of sport was Jed Roddy, somebody who will be very well known to many of you in the room. Jed joined in 1992, and he built on the pining work of Tom, and his particular legacy to the university, as we well know, is in terms of facilities. And that development in facilities really kicked off in the early 90s, when actually the city of Bath led a bid to stage a third European Youth Olympics, supported totally at the time by the university. And this partnership between the city and the university is one of the features underpinning the development of sport over the decades. That bid was against 17 other cities, and Bath was chosen by the British Olympic Association to host those European Youth Olympics. Fortunately, that necessitated the building of a 50-metre pool and an athletics track. And through the support of the National Sports Lottery, which had just been established at the time by the major government, plus funding from the city, plus land from the university, the track and pool were duly built and opened. And an old boy from Beechencliffe School kindly came along in November 1994 and opened the athletics track. That success in creating two fabulous facilities on campus just seemed to whet Jed's appetite and actually led in the late 90s to an almost audacious bid to the National Lottery Sports Fund for £21 million. At the time, the director of the National Sports Lottery was a gentleman called David Carpenter. David was an alumnus of the university, studied here in the 70s, and his final year, or having completed his studies, he spent a year as a sabbatical officer. I trust you can see the similarity between the two photos. <laughs> he actually looks a little bit like our SU president does today, but uh, there's a <laughs> similarity there. Anyway, I've often wondered how it came about that the University of Bath was so successful in achieving a grant of £21 million. And maybe there was actually something to do with the connection between the director of the lottery and that bid. Anyway, having slightly impugned his integrity, fortunately David Carpenter is here with us today and he can clear his name and he's going to tell us a little bit about his memories of sport here at Bath and particularly about the, the bid and the development of Sports Training Village. I ask you just to welcome David Carpenter to the lectern. Everything was above board. <laughs> um, good afternoon. Um, I must say I'm really honoured to be asked to speak today. Um, I don't have a lot of contact with the, the university these days, other than through the alumni communications, but I'm really proud to be a Bath graduate. It's over 35 years since I graduated. The progress of the university in that time has just been really quite remarkable. In this brief overview, I'm going to offer a few reflections on those early days, um, how the culture and aspiration developed then somehow encouraged the university to move things forward. 
Talk a little bit about developments during my time, which were way ahead of thinking. Um, then why Bath was, again, entrepreneurial and ahead of the game when British sport needed a step change and what the consequences have been leading into 2012 and perhaps beyond, perhaps a few thoughts beyond. I'm also hugely honoured to follow uh, Dr Bill Clark and Tom Hudson. Um, I didn't realise it at, at the time, but today they would both have been called mentors for me as that scruffy student. Bill Clark was the original sports psychologist. He was a fine tennis and squash player. He'd turn up in a yellow T-shirt, green shorts, Dunlop green flash and a worn squash racket. He'd admire your new kit, your advanced, uh, your advanced racket. When you were two sets and seven love down on the squash court, you suddenly realised that he could play a bit as well. <laughs> Tom was just incredible. Controversial and dynamic character. As Athletic Union president, I used to argue with him well into the night, almost every night. He once said to me, you are right, but I'm director, so what I say goes. <laughs> During my time at the university, Tom oversaw the opening of the original sports hall, um, the original swimming pool, um, the original sports pavilion, and huge gains in sports participation. Well, I remember the development of the original swimming pool. The university actually declined funding um, support um, for the pool, so Tom decided to go it alone. He called a meeting of all the academic staff, told, that, told them that they wanted a swimming pool, got his checkbook out, wrote his cheque for £100 and called for more. I think he raised something like £60,000 in, in all, except one cheque was never paid in. <laughs> when, I, when I was a student, the campus pretty much ended at Norwood House to the west and Wessex House to the east. Slowly, the sports hall, the swimming pool, accommodation and playing fields came into being. I was lucky enough to have had something like about 16 months training with Mark Spencer before I became a student. That contributed hugely to what I was able to achieve as president of the sports union over two years. But there was an underlying current in that Bath had a dynamic entrepreneurial spirit that has stayed with the university throughout the past 35 years as far as I can see. I left the university and had little contact until the mid-90s. The National Lottery Sports Fund had come into being and the opportunity to change British sport was a potential reality. Sport for a long time had been in the twilight zone where public funding decisions uh, are, are made. Um, the, in the early days, lottery funding could only be used for capital projects. But in 1996, pre-Atlanta, in, in, in fact, um, the Secretary of State, the then Secretary of State, Virginia Bottomley, had given the go-ahead for some of the funding to be used for elite performance, 10% of, up to 10% of the fund to be used to support elite performance. The then called World Class Program, now called Podium Programs, were launched. There were two support packages, package for national governing bodies, package for individual performer support, lifestyle um, support. National governing bodies suddenly were recruiting uh, staff and high, high, highly paid performance directors, some coming from abroad, particularly from Australia. They spoke a different language, and we started, we, we, we started to realise that, in fact, great British, British sport, or English sport, was far further behind than perhaps had been uh, realised. We also lacked any semblance of a sports institute. 
the facilities in particular, but more importantly, the coaching and service backup, sports science, sports medicine, sports psychology, strength and conditioning, nutrition, performance analysis. We nearly made a major mistake. In the mid-90s, the Prime Minister made a visit to Australia with the Sports Minister and went to the Australian Institute of Sport. Typically, in the way perhaps of politicians, they suddenly decided we'll have one of these. Government started to work towards the UK Academy of Sport based in Sheffield. The one problem was that performers did not want to completely up sticks and move to Sheffield. The Australian Institute actually was devolving at the time and, and developing state, in, state institutes rather than being one centralised um, uh, uh, version. And I was lucky enough to do quite a lot of research looking at other um, institutes and, and the localised um, delivery. After a lot of soul-searching and persuasion, the more localised route of delivery won. But the next task was to find willing partners. We genuinely did not know how many satellites we needed, but one in each region seemed reasonable. We were told, don't be afraid of making mistakes, but do something. We also knew we'd only get one chance. Bath once again came to the fore. That entrepreneurial spirit again to the fore. Team Bath was in its fledgling stage. Um, the high performance environment that was developing at Bath was already, was already present and developing at Bath. It was a good location for the west of um, England. We had a willing partner in the university um, itself. The university bought forward partnership funding and the project in overall terms was deemed to be, to, to be fairly low risk. The rest is history. Bath Sports Village came about. A £30 million project in total, providing some of the best facilities in the UK, in fact, some of the best facilities in the world. Athletes win medals, not bureaucrats like me, but the right environment has to be created. From 36th in the medal list, Great Britain moved to 11th, to 10th, to 4th, and going into London, the target is 4th again. Tough, a tough target, but, but on target at, uh, at, at the moment. And the good thing is it doesn't end there. Bath and the other high-performance sites are already looking towards Rio in 2016, and the programme to perform is already in place. Perhaps the biggest compliment of the lot is that Bath is known as the high-performance centre throughout the world. I was lucky enough recently to be in Australia again on holiday this, this, this time, but I went to the Australian Institute and spent a day with them. And they know all about Bath at the Australian Institute and what Bath has achieved, and indeed some of the other high-performance centres in the UK. And the ultimate compliment, I think, was said to me by one of the, the staff that you Brits, one of the Australians said to me, you Brits have gone past us. You've got the best technical expertise in the world now, and uh, we're looking towards you in terms of what we do next. Thank you for listening to me. David said athletes win medals, but um, just to emphasise the point which um, he made somewhat modestly, in 1996 Britain was 36th in the medal table in the Olympic Games, and in Beijing we were fourth. And in many ways the architect of that change was David himself, who put in a strategy through the sports lottery in the 90s to invest in three elements which he touched on, the facilities, the world-class performance programme through governing bodies and the English Institute of Sport. And that was the 
foundation of the transformation in the achievements of um, Britain in the Olympics. So um, I'm really flattered uh, that David's found time to come down and talk to us today, and there might be some interesting questions to ask him uh, afterwards. Clearly, that investment in facilities transformed this campus into a major sporting hub. And today, we have over a million visitors a year coming through the doors of the sports training village. We have young children taking their first steps in sport. We have schools using our facilities. We have, of course, extensive use by students. We have members of the community, and we have several large community clubs. And, of course, on top of all that, we have high-performance sport. And that whole combination of users at all different levels is pulled together under the Team Bath brand, the strength of which is that it allows a university to, to claim an association, to market and promote an association with both student and non-student sport. In terms of high-performance sport, that is, of course, where we get our profile uh, and where we get our reputation enhanced through sport. And it enhances not just the reputation of the university, but also of the city. But our involvement in high-performance sport is on the basis of many very strong partnerships. There's no way the university would try to invest significantly in high-performance sport on its own. It's on the basis of partnerships. We have 15 current contracts with national sporting organisations, the likes of the Lawn Tennis Association, UK Athletics, English Institute of Sport, British Swimming, and many others. And these, these partnerships underpin our involvement in high-performance sport. They've brought many top athletes to the university campus over the year, years. Since 1996, 26 medals have been won at Olympics and Paralympic Games by athletes based on the University of Bath campus. I just want to give you a flavour of some of the glittering array of stars that have been part of Team Bath and part of the university over the years. The modern pentathlon team have won four medals over the past Olympics. Stephanie Cook, Dr. Stephanie Cook, perhaps the most famous, winning gold in 2000. Local boy Jason Gardner uh, won gold in Athens. Shelley Rudman won silver in Bob Skeleton in the 2006 Winter Olympics. Colin Jackson and Mark Foster didn't achieve Olympic success, but between them won nine World Championships medals while based on campus. A slightly more up-to-date, Amy Williams, perhaps our most famous uh, Bath-based athlete with her stunning Olympic gold. Di Green, who won World Championships gold last summer and is hot favourite to do so in the Olympics. Michael Jameson, one of the swimming squad, already qualified for the Olympics this summer in 200 metres breaststroke. And Frey Apprentice, striving to do the same in modern pentathlon, but competing against five other top-quality, world-class modern pentathletes, all training here on campus. There are over 200 international-level athletes who use the University of Bath as their training base. Over 200. Actually, what's even more interesting to me is that 86 of those 200 are students at the university. I find that percentage quite remarkable. There's one group of athletes based with us who I'd like to give a special mention to, and this is the GB Rhythmic Gymnastics Squad. They started training 
on the University of Bath campus last summer when they went full-time. They've taken a year out of education in order to really try to achieve their goal of qualifying for the 2012 Olympics. a very high barrier to achieve. They upped the training for 25 hours a week to 45 hours a week. And in January, they achieved the Olympic qualifying standard, a standard that's not been achieved, even close to being achieved, by any other British team in the past. They've now secured a place for Britain in the Olympics. None of them are actually named as athletes yet to go to the Games, but six of the squad will be named, providing they stay fit in early July. We have lots of high-performance athletes but these young women have been an inspiration. They've been training with such commitment and for so many hours. And as you come into Sports Training Village, you can see them uh, throughout almost day in, day out. Um, I'm delighted actually here with us today. Um, they, a remarkable thing about story is they're totally self-funded. We, we, through Team Bath, through the university, have been supporting them where we can. But um, the overwhelming funding for the, their coaching and for all their competition has come from their parents. So if anyone's looking for a good cause to support or know someone who is, as they make their final push to the Olympics, I'll happily make an in introduction. They have been an inspiration to many other high-performance athletes in the building. So I know it's on behalf of everyone here, girls, we will wish you all the best of luck when you do get into the Olympic Games. Thank you for coming along. For those of you going on the tour later, you'll be able to see them training because they're going as soon as I finish speaking to get back into, into training. They've taken the 45 minutes off. <laughs> Got light. Uh, I didn't touch anything. But, uh... We're very proud of our association here at the University of Bath with Paralympic sport. We have a number of top Paralympic athletes based with us. And again, to give a flavour... There's Ben Rushgrove, who won a silver medal in Beijing. Katrina Hart and Paul Blake are both current world champions in the sport of athletics, in uh, sprint events in uh, disability athletics. Liz Johnson and Kate Gray are both off to Manchester this weekend to try and qualify for the 2012 Paralympic Games. Uh, if Liz qualifies, and we expect her to, it will be a third consecutive Paralympic Games. Four of those five athletes are graduates of the University of Bath. Coupled with the many Paralympic athletes based on campus, we have a very strong partnership with the British Paralympic Association. We've been hosting the preparation camps of Paralympics GB over the past two summers, and the final preparation camp will happen this August. In terms of a legacy from 2012, as a university, we really want to build on this association with Paralympic sport and extend it out into the whole area of disability, sport and health. We want to continue to support athletes and have more athletes with disabilities training on campus and supported by the university. And we also want to extend our research um, in this area. Uh, we already do research uh, around physical activity and the benefits exercise. We really want to make a push to move that into disability um, exercise and health. Through generosity of a couple of alumni, we've already got some research posts that are coming on stream, and we're looking to build on, on that in due course. I'd like to show you a short video which, for, for me, explains why we are so passionate here at the university in supporting... <laughs> 
this area. Um, I was at 25 meter pool and didn't have the opportunity to progress and improve from elite athlete. Since coming to the University of Bath, I've progressed leaps and bounds. I've represented my country in international events and my times have improved considerably, all thanks to being part of this university and being at world class facilities. I think having the funding of the sponsorship is going to be an awesome thing for this, for this university in particular because we have a very small sort of nitty-gritty Paralympic selection here, but it's something that can really grow and working with the coaching staff here and the support services, they really want to get involved with disability sport and I think having that funding, it'd be a great influence on the sport and for people like myself to really improve and progress further. The worst thing about training before I came to Bath was uh, that we had to train on concrete strip. It didn't take long before I got injured as a result of that. Now I'm here, I get facilities which are world class, I get uh, an opportunity to have brilliant coaching, um, and it's just such a different kind of ball game altogether. I mean, the facilities that are here are brilliant, but anything we can do to make them better is worthwhile, I think. Especially given the fact that you know, we've got some brilliant athletes here already, we've got a starting point here, but we've got a foundation block to build from. My life before Bath was uh, quite hectic. I lived basically an hour away from the track, so it meant obviously quite a lot of travelling. Like, so it became quite difficult, you know, I was getting back really late. But when I came to the University of Bath, things changed really, you know, the track's right on my doorstep, you know, I've got the physios, nutritionists available when I need them, and they're really easy to access, which is really nice. It makes me a lot easier to train because I've got the facilities right here where I need them. I think it's, you know, it'd be great to have other facilities for disabled athletes and army personnel, you know, obviously it's quite a difficult situation to be in, but I think, you know, everyone can support each other and be like a family unit, which is really nice. Being involved in this and gaining funding would obviously help future generations, but also ourselves, to uh, help conquer our dreams. Before we got, get to the legacy, we have, of course, this summer. And we're going to be, if all goes according to plan, a veritable United Nations, as a number of nations are going to descend on us for their pre-Olympic training camps. We know that the Malaysian Olympic team will be here in July, based very much around a very strong badminton squad where they have some of the best players in the world and very, very strong medal prospects. I've already mentioned the British Paralympic Association, and come August, the Paralympics GB British team will be based making their final preparations too. In July, we're going to have an Olympic team from China, their swim team, going to be based with us for three weeks, and we have, we'll have also a very strong team from a major sport from Russia. 
who will be joining us. There's a number of other countries who we're in conversation with and we're just looking to finalise arrangements from uh, the United Arab Emirates and Libya and Yemen and Iceland and Denmark and a number of others. Still a number of balls in the air and there's a number of um, contracts to be signed. But I'm very hopeful that when the dust settles after the 2012 events, there will have been more nations preparing with us at the University of Bath in the sports training village than at any other single location in the country. So from genuinely very, very modest beginnings in terms of sports, through the work of Tom and Len and Bill and Jed and so many other people, underpinned, as I said earlier, but, but fundamentally underpinned from the very beginning and throughout by the strong partnership between the city and the university, a real gem has been created here up on Claverton Down. It's a place that I'm privileged to come to work in on a, a daily basis. And when I walk through the doors, still after two years, I enjoy the excitement and the energy that exists within the sports, <coughs> sports training village. It's a privilege to be the current director of sport, but I'd like to finish by just showing you another short video that much more effectively than I can really demonstrates the energy and the dynamism that exists in, within our wonderful facilities. and I actually came here to the University of Bath. I've won a European title, a world title, all from this venue. with activity for children who are just starting out on their sporting uh, life and all that works harmoniously. One of the, the main strengths here is having in the community is the students, the, the professional athletes under one roof so we can all really learn off of one another. You can sit in a cafe and people all around you, students are there, someone who's just come for their weekly swim, you know you're just all under this one big roof. When I was uh, back at home, it's just trained just me and my coach, but now being here at the University of Bath um, with like, all the elite athletes, it's incredible. Alongside a great city, a high quality university, we have the most fabulous sporting offer. The facilities, the infrastructure, the sports science and the support services are second to none. We've been in that kind of environment where we strive to want to, to do more and train harder and go better. You're amongst so many you know, different top, top athletes and it's inspiring. 
you do have the mix of, of elite athletes and people from the community coming in and youngsters. I think it's great because it gives inspiration to all. It's a great situation. I've got everything I need on the doorstep here and I'm enjoying every second of it. Good. Well, thank you very much for listening. That's the end of the presentation, but we have.